Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you again that we can sing with the hymn writer. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We thank you that we belong to you. We thank you, Lord, that your word is both sure and steadfast, an anchor, that you have given us your word, that it might be a light to our path. And so, Lord, we pray that even as we look into this passage this morning, that you may, by your divine Holy Spirit, uh, anoint your word, that it might pierce into our hearts, that the sea, which is the word of God, might bear forth good fruit, and that you might be praised. Lord, to the end, that Jesus might be glorified, we give you thanks in his name. Amen. Uh, for those of you who enjoy the high-tech PowerPoints, I make a small apology. Small because if I were to try to do a high-tech PowerPoint this past week, um, you would have uh, discovered that most of the media would have been out of place. Um, I was suffering from a, an abscessed tooth. And those of you who have known what it is to have a small bone in your body bother you, uh, know full well that that can be quite an experience, and fortunately it is now be gone. <laughs> and uh, we're thankful for that, and we're moving on. So I just have a curious question, not a, not asking for a raise of hands, but I understand that early Saturday morning, some of you may have been watching television um, as Prince Harry and Meghan Markle wed, and. Uh, um, I was particularly happy to see that the media was giving this some ex exposure. It's really nice to take time out from the war in Syria, from the volcanic eruptions in Hawaii, from the school shootings in Texas, from the plane crash in Cuba, to take time out to celebrate love, marriage, the home, and indeed wedding. And uh, if you didn't get your wedding invitation, I understand that there was a limited number that they specifically avoided all the very popular people, the politicians and the who's who list, was whittled down to just a very small friends list, so do not feel offended. Understand that the wedding only cost $2.7 So those of you who have had big budget weddings, you're not in the big budget at all. Um, it understood that the uh, only $40 million, uh 40 U.S. million was allocated for security. And the, the food, um, lemon elderflower cake and beverages only cost 680000 So, again, it was just a small wedding. Um, some have commented that her wedding dress was quite simple. Well, it was a simple $270,000 simple. And... Uh, Apparently, 49% of the survey for those in the U.S. who were uh, asked of ages 18 and up said that they were planning on watching the royal wedding, which was up uh, quite a bit. Uh, only 39% watched Prince William and Kate's big day in 2011. So apparently Harry and Meghan have, have gotten the attention of the Americans as well. Well, she is an American actress, and I guess she has a Toronto connection, apparently. So that in itself... Uh, caused a lot of Canadians to uh, to become royal watchers. Tea parties, dressing up, camping out for days on the lawn, just getting up early was all part of the excitement. 
Well, we are grateful that in the day when marriage is frowned upon, and God even more so, it was refreshing to hear the sermon and see the obvious love these two have for one another. We wish Megan and Harry God's blessing and prayers. In a day when it's okay for any kind of living arrangement, it is indeed refreshing to see the Bible and salvation being elevated. Now, there were a few pictures of those who appeared bored, and maybe you caught those, but many seemed delighted to hear the scripture and to listen to the challenge to love even as Jesus loved. We bring this up because, indeed, the church, the one foundation of the church, is that we are the bride of Christ, those of us who have followed in his footsteps. And while the wedding has not officially taken place, although we have been united in one with Jesus and through the power of his Holy Spirit, uh, the big event has not yet happened. And so when we look into scriptures, we find that there's much to say about our future anticipation. Paul, as he wrote this letter to the Colossians, was anticipating the big day. And I'm sure that most of you didn't sit down yesterday and say, I'm getting really excited, I'm going to read Colossians. Um, of all the letters of the prison epistles, um, I think Colossians is probably the least understood and the least read. After all, Galatians speaks of the challenges of those who were bringing in the law and the desire on the part of Paul to remind the believers that they had been crucified with Christ, nevertheless they lived, that not they, but Christ lived in them. Galatians 2.20. The importance of of that life of Christ compared in contrast to the life lived by the law. And of course, most of us are in love with the little letter to the Philippians. You remember that joy is the theme, and who doesn't like joy? Who doesn't want to be cheerful despite your circumstances? Paul was in prison, and there he, he writes, I rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And we need to hear that. And then, of course, Ephesians, that noble book, which reminds us that we've been uh, set in the heavenly places, that we are now in Christ. And just as Jesus is in the presence of the Father, we are in him. And so, too, we are ushered into the very presence of God. It's not something in the next day. We are at this moment seated in him. And, of course, then he goes on to say, now having this knowledge, walk in a way that's pleasing. Very beautifully written in the book of Ephesians. But Colossians is a different sort of book. It doesn't have the eloquence of Galatians. It doesn't have the joy of Philippians. It, it, it even doesn't have the, the systematic order of Ephesians. But what it does have is the personal touch of a man who's painfully going through some very difficult times. And so Paul says to them, this is something I, Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, write to you, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Where was Colossae? It was a small town. Not a big town at all, not a big uh, uh, city. It had 11,000 Jewish people in a colony there. It was located in Asia, about 100 miles 
uh, inland from Ephesus. So if you have your map and remember Ephesus was quite close to the, to the coast and it was 100 miles inland. It was one of three cities which, uh, with Laodicea and Heropolis. It's mentioned in Colossians 4.13 and 16. It's one of three other cities. It was a triangle of cities and it was on the trade route. So it was not really an important major city. In fact, were it not for this letter, we probably wouldn't even know about this little place called Colossae. Some say that it was named after Colossus, the, uh, the large, or maybe it was a Colosseum. We're not real sure. And in fact, the, uh, uh, the, they're still digging up and uh, studying this particular little town. But Paul writes it because of a very real importance. There was error being introduced into this church. And so he, uh, he does deal with that, and we'll, we'll be looking a little bit about the error. Maybe we should just review, since this is meant as an overview. What was the error? Well, there was a heresy. It was a combination of Eastern philosophy and Jewish legalism uh, with a few elements of Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And so these were considered in the know, they had this mystery religion where they were the insiders and they had achieved spiritual perfection. Now the teaching came out of an old age view that goes something like this. If a holy God cares about an unholy world, how can that holy God even come in touch with that unholy world? And so this view held that there were a series of angelic beings Lesser and lesser and lesser angelic beings until it was these spirit beings that were actually in touch with the world that you and I know. The other day I happened to glance on the internet. I don't know if you ever do that. A gentleman had uh, posted a picture of his night security with a picture of uh, his, uh, his vehicle and a huge angel above the vehicle. Don't believe everything you see on the internet. I know it must be true if it was on the internet. My question to those who posted that little picture is, if this, um, if this was a, a picture of an angel, why is it that the angel doesn't appear as clear as the, as the rest of the picture? Not just a question. Uh, not to dismiss the fact that there are angels we're told in scriptures. We're not to forget to entertain one another. Speaking of entertaining... Let's make a motion to make sure we all go to the hall after the meeting today. The Fellowship Hall is waiting for you. There is food, even if you didn't bring any, and we want to enjoy your company and your fellowship. And if you're a stranger here, you might be an angel. That's what Hebrews says. We're to entertain strangers before they might be ministering spirits. Um, Anyways, uh, this particular Gnostic variation uh, of this heresy was in Colossae. Uh, what did they believe? Well, they, they taught that there were s- certain ways to reach up to God. Um, things like new moons, um, foods, things like uh, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. This is found in second chapter uh, where he says, if you've died with Christ, verse 20, from the basic principles of the world, why is the living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch 
do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. You see, even in today's age, there are those who insist that there are certain foods that are more holy than other foods. Now, if you happen to be one of them, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to let the Word of God say it clearly. All foods are considered clean according to the Scriptures. And the Lord made that, that point. Now, having said that, you may have made a personal choice, and I respect your personal choice. You have a right to make those personal choices. You have a right not to eat. If you keep taking that right, you'll eventually wither away, but that's okay. If you have that, you have that choice. We are given choices and freedom. Nevertheless, this group had adopted a doctrine that was very Jewish in its predominant uh, features, and they had taken the position that there were certain foods we should not partake of. Boy, boy, the men's breakfast would be... Uh, we would have a hard time. You know, we just love our bacon. <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd make bacon put in. We'd make bacon everything. And we could just have bacon for the meal, and that would be sufficient. And, never, and I'm so thankful that God has declared all foods clean. This was not the case in Colossae, though. Teachers had come in saying, you've got to eat certain ways. You've got to set aside certain days. There are certain... Hey, there's nothing wrong with church... Uh, celebrations of, of uh, different days. For example, this is the day traditionally the uh, Christian church celebrates the day of Pentecost, 50 days following Easter. And uh, that's what the Penta comes from. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. It's good. But it, it doesn't mean you should get all wrung out if you, if you don't have that particular perspective. Um, these people were very much legalists. And they were considering the fact that you were only as good as your adherence to the rules. Um, now, there are groups today, oh, they even assumed that because God, who was way up here, was so holy, I am holy, I'm the holy one, I cannot look upon sin, that, that when he uh, introduced Jesus into the world, Jesus, in their view, was a spirit being created by this holy God. And there are at least two that I know of, mainline groups today that still teach that Jesus is not God in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, but rather they teach that he is a created being. A high created being, but a created being. Now, if you hold that view, that's not orthodox Christianity. Okay, The Bible is very clear. When John 8:58 is quoted, it's quoted for a reason. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and they say to him, you know, who are you? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. The pronouncement that Jesus is declaring is that he, Jesus, was with Abraham before Abraham, and he, even John makes it clear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not the word was a God, the word was God. And the word dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld God. And I love that translation that uh, Dave was reading earlier, because um, it says that in God we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I love that, because it's very clear. It is in God, Jesus, that we have redemption 
through his blood. I'm, I'm spraying a bit because I did want to talk a little bit about these other heresy views. Uh, you know what? It's not just the, uh, the, the clubs, the programs of, uh, of some of the churches. There are clubs, uh, social clubs that create that view that Jesus was the high angel Michael, a created being, or that Jesus was the counterpart to Lucifer. Um, kind of like, you know, the yin and the yang. You know, you've got to have the good to, in order to have the bad. That's a very popular view today amongst many people. And certainly, it, uh, it gets perpetuated with uh, Star Wars. <laughs> I enjoy watching a little bit of Star Wars every once in a while, but remember that Darth Vader, the black enemy of all good, and Luke Skywalker, the white good hero, says to, his, to Luke, I am your father. I don't know if I got the right accent there or not, but just, it just perpetuates that concept that evil and good are just part of the same. It, they are not. God is in his throne. He is absolutely holy. And he will never be a part of that sin. Now, does that explain sin? Yes, it does, because sin was entered into this world through one man and one woman in that garden so many years ago. And so death by sin was introduced into this world. But thank God, the one who delivered us went all the way to the cross and slew death with death. It's a cool concept. Reminds me of what I was reading this week about this group of Jewish Holocaust survivors. Where were they hiding from being apprehended? They were hiding in a cemetery. Kind of a strange, well, maybe not so strange place to hide. They were hiding from death, but they were hiding in a cemetery. And there, some of the Jewish survivors, some of the women gave birth to children. So life came out of the cemetery. And truly, life has come out of that grave when Jesus declared, I am alive forevermore. And so too, Paul writes to the Colossians, we give thanks in his prayer from verses 3 to verse 8, the first part of his prayer. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Paul was not the founder of this church. Instead, Epaphras, we believe, would have been the founder. He comes to Paul with information about the error of what is going on and the fact that people are leaving Jesus. And they're following this error. And Paul then starts off by saying, we give thanks. Wow, what a nice way to solve a problem, giving thanks. Huh? When was the last time something happened in your household? The washer broke. The battery was dead on the car. I mean, these are first world problems, you know. <laughs> the, uh, the babysitter cancels out on you. The... Uh, well, you know the, you name the problem, you know what I'm talking about. But when was the last time we said, thank you God, I appreciate this problem. That's what Paul does here. He starts knowing full well that the entire church has got riddled with, with issues. But he says, first of all, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you. Do we handle our problems by praying for our problems as well? 
Or do we do that, you know, like, if all this fails, we'll pray. <laughs> that's oftentimes the way we approach life. But that's not what the scripture says. It says, pray without ceasing. Not just here, not just on Sundays, but perpetually. Have that spirit of prayer that goes into every aspect of our lives. He was praying for the believers and he heard of their faith in Christ, their love for the saints, and the hope which was laid up in heaven. That's a really nice triad, nice threesome. Faith, hope, and love. And of course, remember Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Wow. He's, 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 you know, I love the way Paul tackles a problem. He makes a sandwich of it. He starts off by thanking God at the top level. He then praises them. He keeps praising them. And later on, after that, he gets into the problems and at the end, he praises them again. There's a sense where, you know, that's the way we need to handle our problems. Making sure that we inject the corrections with lots of prayer and praise. And so he says, we give thanks to God, we pray always for you, we remember your faith, your love, and your hope. These were believers. You know, if you don't have faith, hope, and love in your life, you have a serious, good question that you might be wanting to ask you and that yourself, and that is, am I truly a believer? There were those, consistently, Paul would try to challenge them and say, remember, this is more than just an external this is more than just about saying with your mouth. This is about a devotion of your heart. This is about the gospel going from your head down a few inches into your heart and making a difference. And I'm sure there are many of us who, when we share our testimony, say, many years I was religious, many years I attended church, but it was only at such and such a time. And that was my experience. I don't know about your experience, but many of us need to make sure that we've gone from head knowledge to heart life with Jesus. And he says that you heard before the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Wow, there it is right there. If you have life in Christ, you have fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, we could say Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance, self-control. These kind of things are part of the fruit that you have. But it's more than that. Because there is the fruit of the salvation of the gospel. Do you, The fruit of your lips to give thanks to God. There is the fruit of seeing people one for Christ. Are those fruit in your life? They were in the church at Colossae since the day you heard it, since you knew the grace of God in truth. Yeah, I, I was reading in preparation for this uh, message some of the, uh, some of the stories that uh, go along with this. Let's see if I can find the one I'm looking for. It's a, it's a story of a gentleman who was... Uh, he was, um, well, that's the fun thing about having notes. Things can disappear and then reappear. Uh, the gentleman was uh, being asked by his friend, 
what do you believe? And he says, well, I, I believe what the church believes. And he says, well, what does the church believe? Well, they believe what I believe. And then he said to him, well, what do you, what does the church and you believe? Well, we both agree together. So he couldn't pin him down what he believed. But we who by faith have come to Jesus Christ believe in that one who 2,000 years ago, give or take a few, went to that cross as God in flesh, the perfect one, the man who did no sin, knew no sin, there was no sin in him. And yet he took upon himself the punishment that was due for us. So Isaiah says, he bore our sins, he bore our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And what is, if we stop there, we've not gone far enough. Because he bore our sin, he took our sin, he gave us potential forgiveness. But he never, ever forces his way into our lives. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And so he waits for we to respond for the offer of forgiveness. Well, most of us, including myself for many years, said, hey, I'm pretty good. I really, I think I've, I've got the life jacket on. I set the sinner's prayer. I'm in the boat. I'm doing the work. And he says, you don't know me. You're a worker of iniquity. That's what he said to my heart. Every time that gospel invitation came, I went, why do I still feel like I should get saved? If you're feeling that way today, it might be an indication you're not saved. And I, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me what, what position you are in, where you've been. It matters that you are outside of Christ. If you have that knocking sensation on your heart door and you've never bowed the heart and you've never said, I surrender, be merciful to me, the sinner, then you may, in fact, have that clear indication that you are not out in the light, but rather still in the power of darkness. In my own experience, very briefly, I could say this. Without the life of Christ, there is no victory over sin. Without the life of Christ, there is no joy. Without the life of Christ, there is no desire for God. It was rather interesting talking to a friend across the breakfast table. It was a really fascinating time. You get the chance to talk with people and hear their stories. And this gentleman said, yeah, I was uh, brought up in a Christian home. I accepted the Lord. Went all through high school. Nothing really much happening. Life is just getting, I just get farther and farther away from God. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I just got to the point where I said, I'm through with this. I, I've got to get, uh, this, if this isn't real, I'm, and he just kind of threw up his hands like this and said, you know, I just said, I, I, need, I need you, God. And it was at that point he said, I heard God say to my heart, you're mine, follow me. Now, in that case, it was, uh, it was kind of cool. I said, so, let me ask you this question. Did you want to read the Bible? Oh, he said, I was, I was consumed with wanting to read this, this Bible I'd never read, never picked up. He said, did you want to, uh, 
tell people about this? Oh yeah, he says, I was witnessing to everybody. I had to tell people of the joy that God had given to me. And, and I said, uh, did you uh, want to get together with other Christians, like even if it wasn't on a Sunday? Oh yeah, he says, I couldn't have enough of being with other Christians. What's the difference? He had life. He had Jesus. What did he have before? He had religion. He had churchianity. There's so many people today, they have churchianity, they don't have Jesus. So many of us, even those of us who've grown up in the church, we lose sight of the fact that it's not about religion. It's about Jesus. It's not about going through some external... I mean, yes, it's lovely to worship the Lord in the, in the spirit of holiness, but do you know He is here in your life? What is faith? True faith is, uh, involves the mind, the emotions, and the will. John G. Patton, when he was translating the Bible, he had to search for the right word to translate faith. He finally settled on this word. Lean your whole weight upon. Now, have you ever done that? You know, you're standing there with a hands or two on a on a table and somebody so, and you're just leaning on that table and somebody comes along and plays a joke and they pull the table out and you flat on your face, right? Well, that's the illustration he wants for us of faith. Do you lean your full weight upon Jesus? Not, oh, I'm just good to lean a little bit because it's about a life jacket performance here. No, have you given your whole life to him? True saving faith is not just not just it's not just going ahead and saying the words. It's individually trusting in the Savior. Not as a lone ranger either. That's why we have church fellowship, so that we can encourage one another. They had faith, they had love, they had hope. This early church, they had a praying apostle who prayed for you. Do you pray for others? Do you have people praying for you? I'm so glad that there are people that are praying for us. You, don't, you cannot believe how many times we are driving on the highway. Something is happening up ahead. It looks like an accident is about to happen. And I don't know why. And we just go... And we go through it doesn't mean we're going to go through it every time, but I know that some of your prayers are being answered daily. We pray for one another. Let us pray one for another. And then he talks about the, uh, the deliverance from the power of darkness, verse 13, and conveyed us in the kingdom of the Son of his love. I love that. Love is a strange word. It's a four-letter word. And it's a strange four-letter word because for some it just simply means ceremonies, weddings, warm and fuzzy feelings. Now that's more likely infatuation. Love is the nitty-gritty that gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning to change a diaper. Love is the nitty-gritty that takes on responsibilities when you know you don't have any energy left. But you do it anyways because you love. I think of that chapter in John chapter 4. It says that Jesus was weary. 
the Son of God, the one who holds everything up by his word. And he was weary. He was tired. He was, he was needing a break. And that woman comes to the well and she's even more weary because she's weary of sin. She's weary of life. She's weary and he knows it. And so he comes to her and says, if you only knew who we're talking to and ask them, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. The son of his love wants to give you that living water today. He wants to give you redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. If you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I would encourage you to do so this day. I think some of you know that I love honey. And uh, I love to put it in coffee. Some of you go, coffee and honey, that just does not work in my vocabulary. But in my, my own personal vocabulary, I just love it. And so I was putting some honey into a mug of coffee yesterday, and as I swirled the teaspoon of this thick, gooey honey into the steaming mug of coffee, I thought how important it was that the coffee be hot. And that in order to get the sugar sweetness of the honey, it had to be agitated to allow the flavor and benefits of that honey to be equally distributed in that entire cup of java. The same is true of us. Jesus is sweeter than honey. And when he comes into our lives, he comes to permeate all our beings. And he will not be just content with influencing only our sin. These are gone, but he also wants to influence our thought life, how we spend our time, what consumes us, what we do with our finances, what we do for him. And when you're tired and weary and want to just leave others alone, you may be called upon to be Jesus to them, just like Jesus was to that woman at the well. And he will give you strength to go on. Yes, that thick, gooey honey is sweet to the coffee drinker, but even sweeter is the Lord. Your word is like honey. Uh, By the way, the psalmist was not thinking of just a, a set of scrolls. He was thinking of that relationship with the head, with the living God. How sweet is Jesus to you? If he isn't, maybe it's time to confess and to return to the Lord. And as we do so, in closing, we would just ask you to um, go forward and uh, live for him if you know him. If you don't know him, there's many of us here that would love to share with you how you can get to know him. To know him is to love him. I believe there's a final hymn, so we'll ask Dave and Vicki to come forward and lead us in our final hymn. Today's message fits very well with this song, I think, and uh, just a, a prayer that we would walk with Jesus, that he would walk hand in hand and be the light that we see on, and that our path ahead. It is in your name, Jesus, that we can gather together and worship you this morning, that we've heard about your uh, position higher than all, but yet here with us in our presence and in our lives. And we pray that as we experience your presence, that we may, as we've been reminded, go forth and be the people you want us to be. We remember the day many years ago when the early church was 
was born in the beginning when Pentecost, that feast of Pentecost took place, the people experienced your spirit poured out on them. They felt the joy of that moment. They became unified as a people. They shared together and met the other people's needs. We just thank you that even this morning and this, this time we can meet together, we can share lunch together, we can experience some of that unity and fellowship that comes through your spirit. So we thank you for this and we thank you for this day, for the message we've heard, for, for our great Savior. Amen.